I'm doing pretty good, aside from my ancient dog I just told you about. Um, yeah. Yeah, aside from that, aside from that guy. Um, why don't you just introduce yourself, and um, from all I know about you is um, you're a smart guy because you're involved in nuclear fusion, and you can normally tell if my podcasts, they go on like a string of, I'll have on like one Air Force guy, and then I'll have on like nine more because I'll get really interested in that. Yeah. And like last week, I was just watching something on nuclear fusion and i was like well i just got to get everyone with nuclear fusion on now so i got you i got another guy on wednesday another guy on friday i'm just like yeah now i want to learn everything about nuclear fusion so yeah why don't you introduce yourself man so uh my name is jackson merritt i'm still i'm a senior about to graduate this may in nuclear engineering with a degree from texas a&m university in nuclear engineering um yeah, I mean, <laughs> basic, yeah basically it right there That's uh it. you know so yeah man so one thing i've so i had on a guy that um was a nuclear power plant operator and i had another guy that oh, was yeah. getting his phd in nuclear fusion at the university of rochester and there's so the one thing that i've, I've kind of realized talking about these people is like they're explaining it and i'm staring at them with like my mouth open and i'm like why is this not everywhere why are we not building nuclear power plants like like we're building mcdonald's like like if it's truly energy independence and not even from like a nationalist point of view where it's like let's be energy independent from mm -hmm. a capitalist point of view look at something right now with coronavirus today, mm -hmm. what's today 29 march 2020 for future reference yeah. we are in coronavirus lockdown i'm looking at it as like from a capitalist standpoint if you you're in texas Think about all mm -hmm. the oil refineries there. If I'm correct, there are a ton of oil refineries, there's right? There's a ton, yeah. That, oh, yeah. that is, yeah, that is like a. There, there's three power grids in the United States: East Coast, <laughs> West Coast, and Texas. Texas. Yeah, yeah, it's. So, just from a capitalist standpoint, I'm looking at if I'm, if I'm a an energy tycoon. I don't think anyone uses tycoon anymore. It's not the 1800s. It's a railroad bully. But like, if I'm an energy tycoon, dude, I don't want even for something like coronavirus but just in general i don't want to be victim to markets going up and down uh mm -hmm. you know any argument this and the economy drops barrels of oil go up to here or there's shipping there or pirates mm -hmm. or tweets or whatever just from a money standpoint so not even the whole idyllic like we should have nuclear fusion yeah and we should also ban crime but like from a realistic <laughs> standpoint like why is this not there's got to be a catch. Is it just stupid people who are scared? <laughs> so, yeah. So we kind of to, – to go through all of that, you kind of have to start with the vilification of nuclear energy in general. So there's a great TED Talk by a guy. His name is Michael Schellenberger, and he goes into this a lot. Basically, it all starts in California in probably about the 60s. Um, basically, California is going to build three nuclear power plants. So you have Diablo Canyon, which is currently operational, and then you have two other power plants. And uh, these two never get built. And the reason is basically um, oil, gas, and coal really don't like nuclear because it's a big it's a big deal. It's a big threat to their stability because uh, it produces so much energy and it, it's really, it has a really good longevity. Uh, so uh, there's some toss-up about what really goes on um, – in terms of the government and their hands in uh, trying to make nuclear energy look back. Basically what happens is this big campaign starts and uh, you have nuclear energy. If a nuclear energy or if a, if you have a nuclear meltdown uh, in a power plant, you're gonna get it like a, 
a Hiroshima level event. You're going to have a nuclear explosion. Yeah. It's going to be awful. Uh, we've seen that that's not the case. Uh, obviously, meltdowns are terrible, but they're not nearly to that extent where an entire city is going to get erased off the map if yeah. that happens. Um, eventually, what happens is uh, you you get uh, Sierra Club, uh, who originally was f- for nuclear energy, goes against it. They switch sides. Um, and then you know clubs start popping up so there's mothers against nuclear which is a big thing back then uh, and you get to this point where you get to this really terrible movie called the china syndrome and it's basically the entire point of this movie is uh vilifying nuclear energy like you're, you have a meltdown one hasn't occurred yet and so they're going off of what it's you know it's a typical sci-fi movie they're just coming up with bs yeah uh <laughs> Two weeks later, after this movie comes out, you have uh, Three Mile Island occur. Oh, so, Jesus. The, the, yeah, the so uh, it's not a big deal. Basically, what happens is Three Mile Island. You have a, you have your core, and you've got uh, this thing called a pressurizer. Um, reactor trips. The control rods going like it's supposed to. But what happens is on this pressurizer that's supposed to keep pressure in the system at a certain point, so that you can keep pumping coolant over the core to keep it cool. Uh, the the relief valve gets stuck open uh, and nobody catches that immediately. So eventually the pressurizer, um, the water level drops and eventually you have a core exposure. Uh, it gets fixed really quickly, but there is a radiation release. Um, wasn't bad uh, out of everyone who is nearby. Uh, there was no danger to anybody, even in the facility. Uh, it, higher dose than normal, but really no big deal. But what happens is the media gets a hold of this. They don't, they don't know nothing about nuclear energy. So, uh, the story goes that, uh, you have these newsrooms and they say, who's seen the China syndrome? Cause this only released two weeks ago. And some intern in the back raises his hand. He's like, Hey, um, I- I've seen it. And so that's how they report on this thing. And so that's really where nuclear energy got. It's kind of the hysteria surrounding it. Uh, occurs um is with with three mile island and just the kind of this weird release of the china syndrome um and so there's a lot of fear surrounding it um we eventually had chernobyl not 20 years later and chernobyl was horrific Uh, i don't know if you've seen the tv show but they really do that yeah they do that they do that a lot of justice uh just with how bad and you know there's a lot of factors that went into just why that got so bad. The government was working against them and all that stuff. And then you have uh, in the 2010s, we uh, in the Shima. industry, it started to be calling uh, what's known as the nuclear renaissance, right? So we're thinking like, all right, we've moved past Chernobyl. The public's finally thinking, hey, uh, we've got this thing down. We're going we're gonna to really sell nuclear energy and start selling it as a great thing. And then in 2011, you have Fukushima, uh, which uh, really was on – the plant site operator. So basically you have the IAEA, which is probably the only branch of the UN that I actually like. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The International Atomic Energy Agency. um, And they go one day and they do a typical inspection and they tell these guys at the plant, hey, so it's not super credible, but y'all have like these massive tsunamis that hit like every 100 years and you're a little bit overdue um so we would recommend like your uh your diesel your backup diesel generators are at like 23 feet high we're saying put them at 64 feet high not a super big deal you just got to move these diesel generators well they never did that and then so the tsunami hits their diesel generators flood and now they can't cool their reactor once the grid goes down so um we're in a weird spot right now nuclear energy uh with all of the green stuff going on there's a lot of hope for it but right Mm. now also the biggest thing we're running into is so uh power plants i'm sure the 
uh, reactor operator you talked to mentioned this, but uh, you know, reactors are licensed to operate for 40 years by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and then they have to go through a review process to get that extended. Uh, a lot of them right now are going for that, and they're not getting extended for uh, whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, what the nuclear power plant operator talked about was that it's like it's like when comparing uh, building a power plant to, let's say, like a coal-powered power plant or something. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like the initial input cost, and then it's how it's quick, how quickly, very it, high. yeah, how quickly does it turn around and start getting you that fucking sweet paper? <clears throat> but the problem is, is it's so. It seems like, obviously, just from the just the the market standpoint, it's like you you want you want to get a bang for your buck, and so there mm-hmm. you go, do coal, you go do natural gas, whatever. There would, what do you think would would cause, or what do you think would spur a construction boom of nuclear power plants do you think it would have to be something like like the government will pay for it and then like you can pay it back mm-hmm. with like the pro it would be it would have to be there would have to be some sort of incentive you know almost like the yeah. solar panel uh mm-hmm. like i don't know the word allowances or whatever matching it's there would yeah. have to be something where it'd be like here's the whatever five billion build it mm-hmm and you just start paying you start paying us with the money coming in from it and it will take it'll be like a mortgage be like it's gonna mm-hmm. take 50 years to pay but that will get that will get these companies to start being like all right like like another thing about it is like the like my push for nuclear energy this isn't some like rage against the machine fuck exxon more exxon mobile or shell like hey man i'm all for those mega corporations i think efficient stuff gets done with them there's no mm-hmm. reason why they can't turn to nuclear you still yeah. keep your profits still get insane profits i don't care it's like an argument of like legalizing marijuana like i had a guy the drug users bible author we were talking about like legalizing pot we're like it doesn't have to be you don't have to kick out these companies like Budweiser. It already has Bud in the name. Just start selling Bud. Like it's fine. Like you can still keep your profits. Like no one's. This isn't some like, you know, communist revolution thing. It's like there has to be some sort of incentive. What do you think it would be that would lead to that? So, um, if we're talking just from like a government, like a government wants to incentivize building more plants, I think subsidies is probably the best thing to do. Um, you see subsidies with currently wind and solar, uh, which are both considered very green, very safe forms of energy, uh, which I could come up with some arguments about that. But uh, you have nuclear, which um, zero CO2 emissions, but we get left out of that because I, I you know, the public doesn't really like us too much. And yeah. so, um, in terms of what is the private sector doing, uh, we're doing quite a lot, or they're doing quite a lot. So New Scale is one of the big ones. And so what we're trying to do is enter new markets that we haven't before. Currently, you have this massive reactor fleet. Uh, I, I mentioned Diablo Canyon's one. Uh, in Texas, we have South Texas Project and Comanche Peak. Those are the two reactors that we have here. And those are large-scale commercial nuclear power plants that are meant to support the grid at large. Um, so then you have companies like NuScale that are entering the scene. These guys are developing uh, small modular reactors or micro reactors. They don't produce a ton of energy. We're talking maybe a megawatt uh, up to 20 megawatts. Um, what these are designed to support is so NuScale, they would probably want to get on the big grid as a whole. Um, micro reactors, I, don't, I can't think of any companies off the top of my head that are uh, 
building any. I know one has been gone into a licensing process. What they want to do is, so you have remote areas like Alaska, Northern Canada, uh, let's talk about the Siberia of Russia. Um, they want to get into those markets. You can build one of these little reactors. Um, you don't have to work. I mean, you have, and you can get these small scale grids and you can enter those markets uh, it also for like a fraction of the cost um, because we got tired of waiting around for government money. So we thought, well, if we scale these reactors down, we can uh, build these things uh, and start making money quickly because, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest hangup, right? It's, it's just, it's a mountain of cash before you can start actually producing yourself. Hmm. Didn't, yeah, so the nuclear operator guy, you talked about the, he has like a three letter acronym for it. Whatever the small ones are, there yeah, SMRs. SMRs, yeah. Um, didn't didn't Russia have something? I want to say it might have been in the Cold War. It might have just been in the last twenty years. I don't remember. Didn't they have like a almost like the ships we're sending right now, like the Mercy and the Comfort, those like uh, those like hospital ships? Mm-hmm. Like right well, now, we're sending them to U.S. cities, but like in the, like we always send them to like. Um, you know, places hit by earthquakes or tsunamis mm-hmm. all around the world. Didn't Russia have something where it was like a barge or a ship, but it was a nuclear power plant and it could, it was for like the Arctic regions where it would mm-hmm. not just like a nuclear powered ship, like we have those. It was something that would, it was, it would sort of dock and it was literally like you could sort of plug into the ship almost. I mean, that's a simplified way. Is, do you think yeah, that? I can't- I can't remember the name of the ship exactly, but um, it does exist. It came out about 2016. Uh, it's really ironic because its first mission was uh, to go plug into a coal power plant out in the Siberian region. Um, or not a coal power plant, but a coal mine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so it exists. Basically, they. I think it's insane. It's really cool, um, and it's probably safe. But uh, yeah, they, they just built a floating uh, nuclear power plant, and it's... Uh, its only purpose is yeah to produce power for coastline cities. Yeah, in Soviet um, Russia, power comes to you. Yeah, exactly. So, so with the the small power plants, the SMRs, or even the bigger power plants, it's and I want to say I read this somewhere. I'm sure again I don't have any knowledge in this. So what whatever I am thinking of like the bleeding edge, I'm sure you're just like yeah the, yeah uh, yeah it's but wouldn't it make sense to or are nuclear reactors today built to where something like you don't you'd almost want to trying to think of like almost like a dead man switch like a dead man mm-hmm. switch it like stays quiet unless you're like shooting the thing at well that's a terrible example that's the exact opposite right now you need power to constantly cool it and you have the backup generators and you have mm-hmm. the backup backup generators but stuff happens chernobyl or I don't know, just a tsunami coming and destroying yeah. it. Wouldn't you want to get it to a point where it's it doesn't melt down with loss of power? Wouldn't you want it to where it, if power cuts out, it's designed in such a way that it dies? 
Mm-hmm. So that's what. Uh, so that's the big push right now with Generation Four reactors. So currently, our, our most modern generation. So uh, reactors have always operated in generation. So you have Gen One, Gen Two, uh, Fukushima and Chernobyl would both considered uh, Gen Two reactors, and then you have Gen Three, which is our current. So that's uh, like an AP one thousand is a good example of a Gen Three. It's typically a pressurized water reactor. Um, so it's closed cycle, meaning all the water that goes to cool the core stays in that area. We're not like you know, because one of the big fears with BWRs, you'd see the steam rising off and people would be like, well, yeah. what if there's radiation in that water? Yeah. Uh, not a real concern, but we just adjusted for it and it worked great. Um, and so you have Gen 4s. And so basically what, um, these are expected to maybe start rolling out in the 2030s, early 2040s, uh, because it's just it's a long time to develop, to design and to the, eventually get a government license to build one of those. So what are some examples of these Generation 4 reactors, these advanced reactors? So um sodium cooled fast reactor so um what that is is just uh instead of using so most reactors we use or all reactors at this point we use water to cool the reactors and they moderate our neutrons uh moderation just means slowing them down um these some some guys have come up so uh we would go back to a graphite moderated core but instead of using water which uh with chernobyl we had graphite moderated and uh, I could go into more detail about that, but uh, it was water cooled. The water eventually boiled off of that reactor and caused a hydrogen explosion that resulted in the absolute uh, disaster that it was. So now it's sodium cooled. Um, sodium, uh, really high thermal heat capacity. So uh, just in terms of the core getting hot enough to meltdown, that's really going to be hard when it's sitting in this just, it's a massive vat of just molten salt. Um, and then you don't have the issue where, well, if the water boils and the hydrogen and the oxygen separate, you could get an explosion that that's removed. Other types are lead cooled. Lead, uh, I've actually done uh, a lot of research because my capstone project, my cedar design project worked with lead cool, uh, a lead cooled reactor. Um, it's really interesting because so you, uh, again, lead has a super high specific heat capacity. So it holds a lot of energy. Huh. Also, lead is we use lead as a solid lead as a shield all the time so if that lead were to solidify your core becomes inert so that's really cool um other things are like high temperature uh hgrs or high temperature gas reactors um you have uh scwrs which are super critical water reactors so uh going back to like physics in high school uh when you talk about like steam charts uh you have the supercritical point and that's basically where that reactor would operate at um so yeah i mean and all of these reactors really have the inherent design of if like if literally just something terrible happened and everyone on that site dropped dead mm-hmm. you could take up to like two to four weeks to get back to it and it would be okay you Jeez. know yeah, so yeah, I wrote down. I was gonna ask you, but you read my mind and went right to it. I was gonna ask because I know water's got a, a a pretty solid specific heat capacity, but I was gonna ask, yeah, what other fluids or I guess fluid-like substances? Yeah, I guess that includes molten molten salt. What you said about lead is that's. I made a really brilliant note. I wrote lead, awesome. <laughs> but like that makes sense though. Like I didn't know that it had a high specific heat, but like. Would you that that's two birds with one stone? Like, not only would it be a yeah. good heat transfer, but if if it's solidified, and there's mm-hmm. less, it just it's literally it it solidifies in its own tomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's 
So what? All you gotta do is cool the lead down, and you're fine. Yeah. Like, but that's the hard part. Is so if if you have a runaway reaction, um, the hard part is the heat inside of it keeps increasing. So really, what you gotta yeah. do is, I mean, as long as you just keep putting lead over it, you keep cycling that lead. Eventually, it gets to a point where it's cool enough. The density increases, and then yeah, <laughs> as the density of lead increases, it becomes it it yeah, it just starts becoming its own tune. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like in Chernobyl. It's like, well, we put this onto it. And it turned into lava, and he's like, "You made lava." <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. "Yes, that was expected." Um, yeah, <laughs> it's you made lava. We need all of the liquid nitrogen of the Soviet Union, all of it. <laughs> yeah. um, I remember hearing that. I was like, "Jesus, all of it." <laughs> so, I guess we're like venturing into like uh, like doomsday mad scientist shit. But like, now, why wouldn't we put one of these in like the Arctic, where like? it is going to be like this like that nuclear reactor could never mm -hmm. use they could they could never produce enough if if something produced enough heat to melt all of that well then we have bigger problems than a nuclear reactor is that i mean what's what's the i guess the obvious problem would be transferring all the energy how would you get it out yeah. is there yeah is there something is there is there any is there any reasoning or logic behind like just taking any of these reactors and just like you just start building them underground in like a lead tomb anyway and so, so it's like no matter what happens it's just under there it's gonna you know there's is that am i a stupid person taking it no it's a it's a good question uh it's just so like uh building art uh, reactors in the arctic we there's just no current infrastructure that would be able to transfer yeah. power like that far to then maybe like south carolina yeah. or not south carolina but south america or yeah. africa that's yeah. probably about maybe the closest you could get there's just nothing there for that in terms of burying them uh so we don't do that very often um currently one of the biggest benefits to bearing is really just shielding mm. uh i mentioned my capstone project so mm -hmm. what we're doing is we're designing a reactor for uh, a hypothetical martian colony um and so rather than uh letting it sit on top like the core we're just saying well if we just bury the core stick a, a shielding cap on top uh and then you can still control the reactivity from it then you're shielded and it's fine yeah. um you know, there's not a whole lot of fear there uh, of radiation getting out. If it melts down, maybe, but the idea would be that we would just build it far enough away that it would never be a problem. Yeah, we got a whole planet to destroy over there. Oh yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, yeah, no. just ditch it, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wait, so um, that's pretty badass. Can we go into that? You're so you're designing stuff oh, for a yeah, Mars so, colony. Um, <laughs> Shit, let's. I didn't even think about that. I was like, what's cooler than nuclear energy on Earth? And it's like nuclear energy in space. Like yeah. So our project is it. It, uh, super inventive. So basically what we're doing is, so uh, we're calling it the MFKR reactor or the multifunction uh, kilopower reactor. Can you, yeah, you oh, can, you oh, get what I'm saying. I was going to, so I came up with the name. <laughs> dude, so I, I have a, I have a subreddit called funner history. Oh yeah. It, and I purposely spelled it wrong. And it's, this, it's just the first one ever was I took like an SR 71 blackbird and put it in like world war two. I just photoshopped okay. it and it's just like, Hey, it's so stupid. It's funner. It's since in a year blown up to like nineteen thousand subscribers, but there's there's people there's like everyone just it's always just fake history, right? You yeah. know, it's like flamethrower boats and like like civil war. One of them was is and sometimes I'll try to really sell them and I'll put like corporate logos on it. One of them was is I'm I I photoshopped this huge rocket for SpaceX and it was supposed to be like ten times stronger than the Falcon Heavy. And it was for it was for like a one shot Mars trip. And it was the math. What was it? 
is the mass transfer heavy mass transfer heavy rocket like kill tons of, but yeah it was, it, was, yeah it was motherfucker but it was just i mean yeah <laughs> that's hilarious so, yeah yeah no that's great um so kind of what we're trying to do is so nasa already has a reactor that they designed it's called crusty um and yeah it's called crusty it's based off of the simpsons it's great say, nasa's yeah. got a sense of humor yeah um they did all their tests. It performed great. Basically, now they're just waiting. Like, hey, let's we we gotta actually get people there. So, kind of our design incorporates that. But so so Krusty is four individual units that each produce ten, 10 kilowatts electric each in order to generate the forty kilowatts electric that they assume that they need for the mission. Um, we're we're doing two specific things. So Krusty, you have the core, you've got its heat transfer system, its power generation system, and then you have this massive radiating disc that just shoots off the excess heat into the Martian atmosphere, and that works. We uh, we think that's great, but. Uh, we maybe have we're trying to see if we can't come up with a couple things so one of them is why transfer four units if we can just slap it all into one Mm. Uh, i'm doing core design and that's been really interesting trying to see how that works because getting up to we're looking at 50 kilowatts electric in one single unit it's pretty big um maybe too heavy we're Mm. i'm still working with that um the other thing we want to do is so nasa uh their reactor just kind of spits all the heat off into the atmosphere or we're thinking like well what if we can make it do other things so one of the yeah, guys on my yeah. team has been doing a lot of work on trying to see uh if we produce a little bit of extra power could we support electrolysis so like they yeah. found salt water on mars that'd be really cool how about just passive heating of the room like yeah. martian atmosphere is like negative 40 degrees centigrade it's really cold and so uh just like creating a system of radiators that we would just pump uh working fluid through to heat up stuff and then we also talked about uh the electrolysis would be with oxygen generation the other thing that kind of set us on this path of making it like multi-purpose is um so martian soil is like really high in perchlorates uh which is i guess uh super toxic to people (laughs) i guess it really causes like thyroid cancer basically uh so we thought like well what if we and so this is assuming the guy can get everything he needs done this is his last part and hopefully hopefully we'll get there we've got about a month left uh could we develop a system based off of the heat produced by the reactor to burn those off and then they have fresh soil that they could use to grow crops and then they have water they have oxygen they make their own co2 for the plants and then you know you got uh even with the electrolysis you have extra hydrogen to produce rocket fuel and so i mean these are all just things that we've thought of Hmm. uh so it's really cool and so yeah I, that kind of seems the idea of having that huge disc radiating heat that kind of from a layman's term or from my point of view that just seems stupid as shit why would you waste all of that that is that, that well, is energy to again from my like you know armchair you know i've well, now yeah, had I mean, on three nuclear guests i know what i'm talking about but that's so much energy and you're on a different planet energy yeah. is at a premium like you know why waste it just like you know it's like your dad in the winter if you have the window open it's like oh, we're just heating the outside it's like we're just heating the martian atmosphere like yeah. you know well and i mean i just uh nasa nasa obviously operates on a budget they have timelines uh we kind of we're not actually building anything so we got all this time to free think and uh come up with all this cool stuff uh and then see if we can't theoretically make it work um <laughs> NASA also has budgets. They have weight limits that they have to deal with. So all of this stuff kind of goes into that. Mm. Um, maybe like maybe if the mission went on long enough or uh, one of the things actually that I, I'm about to start working on is uh, 
and they didn't have this back in 2016 whenever they designed uh, Krusty. But so um, something interesting to note about nuclear fuel is uh, the way it's shaped affects how reactive the fuel is. And so most reactors today are cylinders. Um, it's not terribly reactive it's more reactive than a cube but less reactive than a sphere um the reason we do that is uh one cylinders are easy to manufacture they're easy to mold and they're easy to cast all that stuff um spheres it's really difficult to do one thing i want to see is well if i can make it you know with additive manufacturing 3d printing what if i could you know my one of my uh tech advisor my professor said well that's perfectly possible these days to make a spherical reactor yeah. and so that's something that i want to try to do yeah. i've got time to do it so mom i'll get i'll get to that but i just thought of something well, i don't know maybe it wouldn't matter with interplanetary what if you used all that heat <laughs> this is stupid what if you used all that heat to like i was just thinking like what's like like what's the initial use of just like heat in the atmosphere like what do we do we had a bunch of guys in top hats going up in hot air balloons yeah what if you use that to raise a balloon to whatever 500 feet just perpetually held it up there but you could use that as like a makeshift radio tower to other call would that make sense would that is there any benefit to having that versus or are you just beaming up to like a satellite and then relaying back to earth is there no need for I, a radio tower i mean most most of the time yeah i mean like Maybe in a survival scenario, that'd be good. Uh, the problem is it's just getting that heat. It's trapping that heat. Like you can't just – I wouldn't recommend just taking the radiative, the radiation disc off and then just slapping it in a weather balloon. But yeah, maybe if you're in a survival scenario and you could find a way to try, uh, get all that energy uh, into a balloon, yeah, maybe that could be great in a survival situation. Yeah, but. so only, only like – so that's only some like Mark Watney shit, but not, not – yeah, yeah, probably. Okay, all right, whatever, all right noted um yeah so could, could you 3d print your fuel could you get a 3d printer yeah, for like uranium uh, or plutonium strides that have been made in additive additive manufacturing uh you can actually like print uh i mean you can cast you can print in metals um so hypothetically yes you could print a reactor now there's a lot of things that have to go into that so uh, one of the things that i'm doing is i'm trying to get a job currently with uh, the y12 national security complex in tennessee um i'm currently in their pipeline courses here at texas a&m and that position is called criticality safety um so criticality safety basically um if you get too much mass of fuel in a space you get uh, a criticality accident this has happened quite a bit actually in this like in national labs and stuff just as we've been learning more about mm. radiation and how fuel works and so like if you get i think it's if you get 22 kilograms of uranium in a sphere and you just pack it real dense uh you get a criticality accident which is going to release a ton of radiation that's actually like really deadly to people um and so like if you wanted to print something you could but there has to be a lot of things that go into it to make sure that it's safe uh like in theory i would want to cast that into hemispheres keep them separate and then when i finally want to make my reactor critical i would slap them together uh and then you'd have a reactor some, you know so. some some demon core shit yeah i don't <laughs> want a demon core yeah <laughs> that stuff sucks yeah yeah um so is there like are there any synthetic fluids that could be manufactured that would just have like the ultimate specific heat or is are you getting to a point where it's like you're dumping money into that and now you're offsetting any value of power production or do you not want something with like an infinite specific heat do you 
get right up to that i guess like what like heat of vaporization enthalpy of whatever and get i don't know we get it right up to that point and then i don't, I don't know what i'm talking about but it's like is that like an is that a goal do you just want like the most like the thing that can take the most heat or do you not want it to be is like more not better no so that's kind of like the that's the thermodynamics of it um yeah like idea so ideally what you want is you want something that is infinitely hot and infinitely cold you want like perfect heat sinks right um heat generation and because then you just any heat you generate can then be transferred into the cold sink and you can just infinitely reject heat uh and through the turbine you can infinitely generate power mm. now that's not possible um if you if we had a working fluid and so part of that is so all of our turbines currently are designed to run on steam um even in stuff like your sodium cooled reactors um and your lead cooled eventually like they have that primary loop which is full of sodium or lead uh and then they go into a heat exchanger which then typically just boils water for us uh and then makes the turbine spin and that's how you generate electricity um if we could get something with an infinite heat sink i'd be really interested to see in how like with it almost an infinite uh specific heat mm. i'd be really interested to see how that would work with other materials that we have so like the piping uh stuff yeah because like uh one of the biggest problems we have with sodium cooled or lead cooled reactors is those uh coolants are at such a high temperature that they melt any pipes they trap through so like part of that thing is the material science of it like what do we we need a we need a steel or something that can hold that molten salt so that the pipes don't melt yeah. on us yeah what about something like so i remember thinking is you know it's one of those like you know if the universe is expanding what is it expanding into you know i just remember thinking one day i was like looking at like watching foundry videos just you know just dumping melting or melted molten steel and i was just like man that's so insane but then i started to think like well what's holding the melted steel <laughs> like and and it's it's inkernel i didn't know this but inkernel was also used they coded it on the x-15 the rocket plane they used oh, it yeah? because they're just like hey we use this in foundries like this thing's gonna be can you hear my dog by any chance? I just no. Wanna, okay, I just want to make sure the microphone's not picking it up. He's going nuts. But they're like, this thing can, because I mean, they were, I mean, shit, that was the late 50s, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna just hit go and try to go Mach seven. We don't know what's gonna happen. And they're like, we might, like, you know, we might die, but at the very least, we want to make sure it doesn't melt. Let's <laughs> let's control the variables we can control. I don't know how much Inkernel they used, and I don't know how, I don't know if the whole thing was plated or if it was just certain parts. But that was something where it was like, I mean, because we have problems now with hypersonics and material mm -hmm. science. Granted, that was the first real hypersonic, just we didn't really know what we were doing. Is Inkernel something you would use? Could how you... do you, I've never heard of that material Inkernel. I always forget how to spell it. It's, spell it wrong and then it'll probably come up. Just spell it however you think it is, like I-N-K-E-R-N-E. -E. But I think it's it's almost like kernel. It's like I-N-C-O in kernel. C O N E L. Try I N C O N E L. I N C O E L. No, C O N E L. Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious about that actually. I haven't heard of that. We haven't talked about that in our class. You, uh, 
there's a, there's an awesome audio book called like X15 Diaries and it's it's really dry but it's like 30 hours and it's just all the X15 guys like reading their journals. Hey man, we can I can delay uploading this. You can uh you can <laughs> you can you can oh, snag no, no, it. Uh, we can. <laughs> no, I was like, gonna, uh, no, no, I was going to say we can delay uploading it so you can snag credit for it. You don't want anyone else grabbing it. Oh, uh, no, not <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's probably been considered in the industry. I'm just trying to think uh, so it says it's oxidation and corrosion resistant, um, which works for extreme environments subject to pressure. And you like, oh, I don't know, actually, that's Dude. really. I'll have to talk to my materials guy on that. Dude, you should, because they get. I because I remember, I remember looking it up, and I was just like, that's such a cool metal, and then it just kind of you know stored in a little start part in my brain and went away forever. And I was listening to this X15 book, and they were like, you know, and at that point, like the fastest, like Chucky e. Yeager, I think, had just broken the sound barrier. And they're like, all right, let's go for seven times that, <laughs> like. Before the SR-71, 30 years before the shuttle, they're like, yeah, we're just going to light this thing and go. And they're like, we, you know, we we don't know what's going to happen in the hypersonic speed regime, but at the very least, like, let's control what we can control. And we're like, this thing doesn't melt. And we're like, code it. They're not going for fuel efficiency. They only got 90 seconds of fuel, so it's not like they're worrying about weight. But yeah, they used Inkernel. I don't know. All the, Maybe it was just wingtips. It might have been the whole thing. But, dude, they got... Because they started to use a blade of materials, they literally started to use to coat, start to coat the X-15 in like this pink, almost like pencil eraser material, so that would burn off, so they could get to higher speeds before the metal started to burn. And because of that, they were like, well, "Let's have the absolute highest, like the strongest metal." So because apparently the ablative material would burn, it would like block the windows, and it was like fuck everything up. But yeah. They used Inkernel. I was just thinking, like, what if you just got like a heat sink made of Inkernel? And it was just like, bring it on. Yeah, I don't know, but it actually looks like it is used in the industry quite a bit. Um, I can see the gears turning in your head. Yeah, like, uh, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, so it has a really good tensile strength. Its melting point is freakishly high. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it? actually up there. Uh, so it's higher than tungsten, right? Or no. I don't know if it's better than tungsten. I do know uh, it's probably around the same melting point as most commercial grade uh, fuel, which is uh, UO2, uranium oxide, uh, and that has a melting point of 2,850 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. Yeah, melting point of UO2 is, yeah. Oh, no, 2,865 degrees centigrade, so it's still much higher than Inconel, but Inconel is also very high, so. Yeah. I mean, super cool yeah i think if you got some and dude and that was they used in the 1950s they were using it and it was old technology i'm sure yeah. if you just took some modern material science and tinkered with it you know you could probably get Inkernel second gen right Inkernel 2.0 i mean think it was old in the 50s yeah so even if it was brand new in the 50s now it's still 70 years old you tell me some material science guru couldn't go in there and you know run some simulations on supercomputers and be like yeah we just got to add you know whatever we got some weird whatever but you got to put some copper in there or whatever <laughs> i don't know but with so with that how much would an infant in like in, i guess in the terms of like importance of you know all these things efficiency power tra how important is is that the the infinite the infinite specific heat of uh of your heat sink is how, I, much, how big of a, a link in the chain is that in terms of so really um i don't know having an infinite specific heat in terms of a material i don't know if it's as important as so really it's the uh hold up i'm gonna find this equation so i don't screw it up 
really what's more important is that so uh, for thermal efficiency and just power generation in general uh it's your heat sink so uh we talk about carno efficiency is the mm-hmm. big thing which is going to be uh if you have perfect thermal efficiency your efficiency is going to be one minus your energy out minus your energy in so obviously your energy in is never going to be zero because yeah. you, i mean you can't divide by zero yeah um, but if you can get your q out to be infinite so your q out is essentially uh just super massively big uh, eventually your efficiency oh hold on let me make sure i'm doing this right isn't the is that, no, is, no, that no. Is, is that like a frit or is it i remember in my physics tech, textbook they used to always reference something a, mm-hmm. a car not engine c-a-r-n-o-t is that what is yeah that c-a-r-n-o-t that yeah basically like, like most... as you get if you can reject all of the heat you ever produce then you have 100 percent thermal efficiency yeah that's yeah now you're getting into some uh bob lazar ufo stuff um, yeah and so i mean that's really physically that's not possible you can't yeah. ever yeah because of the way the universe works you can't ever have perfect yeah efficiency you yeah. can get really close though um yeah and that's what we try to do so reactors operate at about 32 percent uh thermal efficiency so uh for every kilowatt or for every uh 100 kilowatts of heat it puts out it makes um 32 kilowatts of electricity Mm. Uh, and that's really good uh the high temperature gas reactor that i mentioned earlier has a thermal efficiency of 42 percent it's crazy um (laughs) so uh we're trying to get there uh we're trying to i mean the thing is you want to use as much heat as you get uh and so that's what we're trying for but what's the what's the highest you can get is it can you not get past 50 percent is or is that wrong i thought you could get up to like 49 or is it is that not the barrier is the barrier 100 uh, the bear i don't know i don't know for sure i'm not gonna i can't say yes or no to that yeah. question just because i don't i guess the barrier technically is 100 but if you could ever approach 100 that'd be pretty impressive that'd you're probably pretty, gonna get a nobel prize yeah yeah it's probably yeah it's pretty insane um so you good to do like 10 more minutes yeah i can do 10 more minutes okay um yeah so i was thinking like now is there any benefit to is there any way to transfer is there any way to transfer um the energy produced from space the idea of like you could have like a miles wide solar panel and use like microwave energy to beam it back Mm -hmm. to earth could you like put something in orbit around mars and you know maybe it's not even solar like i was just thinking like what if you could build a nuclear reactor and you could just have like a tenth of the safety for regulations because it's like oh it's you know it's in geosynchronous orbit it's at thirty six thousand miles it doesn't matter if it leaks it doesn't matter if there's chernobyl whatever you know you didn't see it it's not there's no graphite rod tips and in, in yeah. who cares it's like um so there's some cause for concern of putting a reactor in space um one i don't know about transferring energy through microwave radiation that's interesting i've never heard of that Uh, i would mostly think that you would do it through batteries uh which uh you know solar and wind that's what we use to harp on all the time is there's no battery tech that you could ever use to store all that energy um and so there's a big hold up right there just from sticking a reactor in space the other one is uh 
maybe for Mars it would be okay. If it's in Earth, uh, the problem is if it explodes, you could have radioactive material falling on people's head. That's actually something uh, in our project a professor wanted us to touch on was, well, if the rocket goes up, it has there's a non-zero chance it will explode. Yeah. Uh, let's make sure we're not dropping a hot rock of radioactive material on some foreign country. Yeah. yeah. Um, figure out a way to at least have it survive the fall. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that is true. Um, or or implode with the rocket. That's another thought we've had. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, what about something like Mars, where it's like again, you kind of have this like infinite wasteland, where it's like, yeah, you know, if it comes down, it's probably it's only one of the things that's going to kill you on Mars. It's more yeah. of a wild west out there, or even I don't know, like a lunar colony. Is there, or is there room for like lesser? Actually, I only have you for a couple more minutes, so I don't want to go off into these stupid thoughts. Um, so the guy I had on the nuclear power operator, he talked about the efficiency of like uh, aircraft carriers and nuclear submarine reactors. He said those are much higher than like civilian ones. Is mm -hmm. there any chance that that stuff would ever be brought to public use, or is that Uncle Sam slapping classified on it and putting a gun in your face? Um. I think really that comes down to the fact that they're very small. Uh, in reality, the amount of power they have to produce is going to be a lot smaller than a commercial-grade reactor. Also, uh, when you talk about subs and carriers, so most commercial reactors are going to use uh, these big pools uh, that just sit outside, and they can get heat all day. Well, if you're in a submarine and you're uh, 100 leagues under the sea, you have water that's pretty cold, and you can – you know, you almost have that infinite heat sink. You've just yeah. got something that you can produce uh, – that's just really cold and it's not going to get warmer by you just dumping your heat in there. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's where it comes from. I'm not sure. It might the just size. come from the fact that the ocean is, it's a, an actual ocean of coolant. It, it is that an actual infinite heat sink. It's yeah. like, again, yeah, if you're heating up the ocean, you have bigger problems than your heat yeah. sink. Yeah. Um, got do five minutes. Yeah, I got five minutes. Like I said, I keep people forever, so I have to like behave. Um, so I had a guy on that's uh, from Georgia Tech that's building a, a CubeSat. You know what a CubeSat is? The little like modular satellites, like the size of a shoebox. Oh, yeah. They're really tiny. Yeah, they're really yeah. inexpensive. He's building one called MemeSat, and it's going to gonna be crowdfunded, and it's going to shoot back memes. It's also going to be used for like education. Yeah, it's also going to be for like education and like, you know, elementary schools and stuff. But the way it kind of captured the attention is it's MemeSat. So it's gonna, just going to be you – can, you can literally submit your memes to it. It'll it'll just ping it back, kind of like Sputnik. Well, he and I got talking. Like, what if your sole intention was just speed? There was no. So you got to think about it. There's no. You know, when I first brought it up, the people were like, "Well, it's going to take this long to get to Alpha Centauri," and it's like, "Who said anything about Alpha Centauri? We're not going. There's no specific direction we're going. It doesn't even have to be in the plane of the Milky Way. We can shoot it out in a, at nowhere." If you used gravitational slingshots, right, mm -hmm. kind of like Voyager, and again, there's no mission, there's no taxpayers that you got to report to. If you could just crowdfund whatever, X amount of dollars, and launch this thing, use slingshots to get it going as fast as you can, and then you'd use some, like, nuclear-powered engine and just try to get it to accelerate for, like, a thousand years. And really just try to get this stupid meme CubeSat going, like like a recognizable percentage of like light yeah. you know like 10 percent light speed or like some xenon ion thruster would you use nuclear so the entire thing is like there's no big cameras on it there's no big radios there's not 
we're not doing research. This thing has a radio beacon just yeah. to let us know. We can use the Doppler effect to see how far it is. We're just mm -hmm. going for speed. Would you use like a nuclear reactor for... for if you are only going for speed, speed. I would say you want to use an ion drive. An ion um, drive, but to power it. Because those huge solar oh, panels that... Well, the, those huge solar panels, those take... If you can't tell, I've looked into this. Those huge solar yeah. panels, that's weight. And the ion drives, the most efficient NASA one can fire for 48,000 hours before the, like, it's it's a material problem. They're, they're like, yeah. The grid dies. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, what if you made, like, a three-stage ion thruster, fired it for 48,000 hours, discharge, fire the next one. But you're going to get so far away that the amount, the size of the solar panels you're going to need, that's going to add so much weight, you it's going to take away. You could do it. I think you could. Um, I, the, the only issue you're going to run into is, uh, again, weight and just, you know, how long is it actually going to produce power for you? Yeah. Um, because eventually the fuel will use itself up. It'll all burn out. Like, I mean, if it's in if it's in the middle of deep space, it's, you know, you have zero worry about radiation. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so then you have two issues of if we lose contact with it, could we continue to cool it down? Because uh, eventually it'll get far enough away that you can't communicate with it anymore. It just becomes physically impossible. You could track it, but if it melts down and you break your satellite, well, then you've just kind of screwed up your mission. Yeah. Um, so there's that problem. And there's a the problem of eventually even then the fuel runs out. Like depending on how big it is, your burn up will eventually – all the fuel is going to just become iron because mm -hmm. that's what everything in the universe wants to be is iron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's the, – yeah, the end goal would just to be – whatever size it needs to be, whatever shape it needs to be, it would just mm -hmm. be – and the idea is it would, it would just be – it would be a meme. And it would, yeah. it would just kind of be like – like I want to get that farther away from Earth than Voyager. Like screw the gold record. I want, I want like a one terabyte hard drive of memes, just hurtling through the universe at like ten percent the speed of light. Yeah, and when I pose that question, I I really don't have anything to follow up with it. It's just like no, that's what it is. There's no science to it. So it's like what's the purpose? Just speed. Um, I've having I've had him on before. Ken Mason. He was really good friends with Bob Truax, the guy that designed the Sea Dragon. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna say because they use the Sea Dragon in that show for all mankind, and it's shooting plutonium up to a, a lunar colony. Um, but I'm having him on for the sole reason to talk about <laughs> this hypothetical spacecraft. Well, um, well, dude, I will let you go. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. I would love to have you on again if you want to talk another time, man. I got infinite sure. questions. If you have fun, yeah, man, let's do it again. And it just, yeah, if you can't tell. There's really no structure to it. It's just yeah. whatever floats up. And uh, yeah, brother, I'll email you, man. Thanks for coming on, dude. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, dude. Good luck with have everything. Stay safe. Don't die from coronavirus. Godspeed. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All you right, have bro. a good one. Peace.